Hankinson's Perfect Crime by Ward Sterling. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dale Grothman. Hankinson's Perfect Crime by Ward Sterling. Having decided to kill Chester O'Hearn, Hankinson commenced making his plans. He had often read of the perfect crime, the foolproof crime to which there is no clue, but which always ends disastrously for the perpetrator because of some straggling little thread left untied. In his case, there would be no slip-up. The average murderer, he believed, killed on impulse. Few, if any, went about it as he was doing, weighing every minor detail, covering every track as he proceeded. Carefully, for he felt that he had months ahead of him in which to complete his arrangements, he went over every possible contingency. Every method of killing known to civilized man was carefully jotted down. Newspaper clippings related to crime were card-indexed and filed away for future reference. When he had secured all the information he desired, he sat down, spread the various data before him, and dissected them bit by bit. This work completed, he tabulated the results carefully, then rejected the whole. The crimes of others served him as an object lesson in what to avoid. There were two pitfalls to be watched for. One was the fact that O'Hearn was carrying on a liaison with Mrs. Hankinson. In spite of their efforts to avoid scandal, several people of their acquaintance knew which way the straws were blowing, and one or two had hinted at the facts to the husband. And O'Hearn was a man of great wealth, and Hankinson's cousin. Hankinson, upon his death, would inherit the greater part of his millions. Therefore, any suspicion of murder would cause people to look naturally in Hankinson's direction. Therefore, there must be no suspicion of murder. To kill O'Hearn and have it appear as a suicide would never do either. People always talked too much about suicide and inquired into the whys and wherefores. Talking might cause some blundering officer to accidentally guess at the truth. After debating the matter thoroughly in his own mind, he finally decided that there was but one solution to the problem. First, O'Hearn must be killed in such a way that it would look like an accident. Second, when the killing took place, Hankinson must be close by, but not actually present. Third, others must be witnesses to the tragedy. There must be enough witnesses to prove conclusively that an accident had been the cause of death, and they must be men and women whose testimony would be accepted without question of doubt in any court of the land. These things having been decided upon, Hankinson had next to select a method of committing the deed. O'Hearn was an ardent sportsman, hunter, and trap-shooter. What, then, would be more natural than that he should be killed in the field and by his own gun? But how? It took Hankinson several weeks to decide this point. Here, as before, details were mentally discussed, catalogued, and discarded. The solution was finally reached through the application of chemistry, and, having arrived at a decision, 
Hankinson applied himself vigorously, and with his usual painstaking thoroughness, to the task of putting the affair through to a successful conclusion. In an obscure drugstore in another city, he purchased a small bottle of nitric acid. Several weeks later he motored to the metropolis, a hundred miles distant, in order to secure fifteen cents worth of sulfuric acid. Laying both purchases aside, he waited several weeks, finally finding occasion to make a trip to a third town, where he bought a bottle of glycerin. He now had the ingredients to manufacture enough nitroglycerin to blow up a regiment, all purchased in such a way that suspicion could never be traced to him. But he was wary. The time was not yet ripe. There was always a chance that some over-alert clerk might, through some unforeseen circumstance, remember his face and connect him with the purchase of one of the chemicals. It was best to wait until the memory of his small purchases faded from their minds. It was lack of attention to such small details that had caused others to be caught. In his case, nothing was too tiny to be overlooked. He was a brain that could foresee all contingencies. Six weeks passed before he was ready to act. One day, while visiting O'Hearn's bachelor apartments, he managed to pocket half a dozen shells such as his cousin used in his favorite gun. Again, he waited for weeks to see if the theft was noticed. Finding that it was not, he proceeded to carefully draw the wads from three of the shells, uncrimping the edges in such a way that it would not be noticed. He even wore gloves to avoid tell-tale fingerprints. Pouring out the charges of powder and shot, he poured into the empty shells enough nitroglycerin, which he compounded from his chemicals, to make small bombs out of each, replaced the waddings, and, turning back the edges carefully, he looked over his handiwork. To all appearances the shells were identical to their mates. Yet when the hammer struck the cap, it would create an explosion sufficient to tear the very head off the unfortunate O'Hearn. A terrific jar would explode the other shells, and the remaining evidence would be destroyed. Naturally, as Hankinson knew, there would be an inquiry. But as a method of committing murder, it was so unique that it would never be suspected. Instead, the company which manufactured the cartridges would be blamed. Accidents were always likely to happen in powder factories. In the end, the coroner's jury would decide that something had gone wrong with the formula when the powder was made. He, as O'Hearn's next of kin, would bring suit against the manufacturers, and the latter, for their own protection, would settle as speedily as possible in order to avoid unnecessary publicity. He poured the acid and glycerin down the sewer. The bottles in which the chemicals came he broke into small pieces and buried in the ashes. Thus he covered his tracks as he went along. The hunting season opened next day. He and O'Hearn had made all arrangements to leave early in the morning for a forenoon spurt among the ducks. A large party of friends was to accompany them. The friends were to be the necessary witnesses. Waiting until late in the evening, he hastened to O'Hearn's rooms. A matter of business would, he stated, keep him in town for an hour or two after the party had started 
as soon as he could conveniently get away he would motor out to the club grounds and join the others o'hearn was examining his hunting gear and filled the pockets of his coat with cartridges as hankinson knew he would waiting until the other had left the room for a second he removed three of the shells from the front right-hand pocket dropping into their place the three filled with the deadly nitroglycerin he knew o'hearn's habits at the club grounds the sportsman would divide into small parties each picking out his individual blind most of them would go in parties of twos with hankinson absent o'hearn would occupy a blind alone until his partner's arrival with the ducks flying thick one of the three fixed cartridges would surely be fired inside the first half hour by the time he arrived the others would be on their way back carrying with them the mangled remains of chester o'hearn two someone has remarked that it is the little things that affect human destinies in this case it was a small leak in a rubber boot that saved chester o'hearn's life and prevented carl hankinson from committing the perfect crime o'hearn had suffered from a slight cold arriving at the clubhouse he no sooner set foot on the ground than he accidentally stepped into a tiny pool of water an instant later he discovered the leak in his boot there were no other boots available and to enter the blind with those he wore meant to invite illness never of robust constitution he feared to take a chance as a result he sat on a log along the bank of the river his dog by his side watching the others fill their bags the morning turned out to be warmer than usual finding his heavy canvas hunting coat its pockets loaded down with shells too heavy over his thick sweater o'hearn divested himself of it and lay it on the grass close by stretching out he filled his pipe and took matters as philosophically as could be expected of an enthusiastic sportsman forced to keep out of the game at the opening of the hunting season and the ducks thicker than ever before in history meanwhile hankinson driving slowly reached the grounds looking around carefully he was astonished to find no evidence of the tragedy where there should have been a white-faced little group of men standing around a blanket-covered form all of the members of the party as far as he could see were busily engaged in banging away at the feathered game he hesitated for an instant it would never do to go back now that he had come this far anyone might have seen him the accident was certain to happen shortly to turn back now would be the equivalent of admitting guilty knowledge nor would he dare enter the blind with o'hearn for when one of the doctored shells exploded anyone within a radius of a dozen feet would be in danger moving slowly trying to think of some excuse to keep out of the other's company he rounded a curve in the pathway he was almost upon o'hearn before he noticed the other sprawled upon the river bank half asleep three dogs are affectionate animals the one owned by o'hearn was no exception to the rule forced to remain with its master 
when the other canines of the party were enjoying a full day's sport, it longed for a romp. Hankinson had often played with it in times gone past. Recognizing its friend, it leapt to its feet and, tail-waving, darted toward him. Hankinson's gun was in his hand. It was this that probably caused a streak of peculiar dog reasoning to flash through the animal's brain. Here, he probably thought to himself, is why my master has been waiting. Now that he's arrived, let's get started. Seizing O'Hearn's hunting coat in his mouth, the animal leapt towards Hankinson, the heavily loaded pockets of the coat swinging wildly. As it fawned upon the newcomer, one of the loaded pockets struck the butt of Hankinson's shotgun. Nitroglycerin explodes upon concussion. The end of Hankinson's Perfect Crime by Ward Sterling